Blog Talk Radio. Listen to Bob Marley. 
Yo, what it do? I'll never get tired of that this song. Is your boy Chills. Huh? I'll never get tired of that song, dude. That song is awesome. Oh, you can't. You can't. That's one song I can listen to every day and never get tired of it. Right. Oh, yeah, this is these two from Chef. Demos! Electrifying Man Internet Radio. How y'all doing? Mm. What it do, champ? What it do? What it do? What it do oh, man, let's get into it. Oh, man. Hey. It's Wednesday. Let's okay. get into it. Yeah, let's do it. Skybox time. And, of course, we got to start off with the quick three. We're doing something different with the quick three tonight, though, y'all. You know, every you know every week we try to do something different with the show and everything like that. So, with this quick three, two of the stories is just one story. But this first story is actually going to be called NFL with the Quickness, which is three really like three NFL stories that I'm going to merge into one quick story. So, pay attention, because you might miss it. So, first off, in this NFL with the Quickness part of the quick three, Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Martavius Bryant, after he already served a four-game suspension last season for a reported positive marijuana test, is now been suspended for a year for once again violating the league's substance abuse policy. He was uh, thinking about appealing the suspension, but when told it was unwinnable, decided to not pursue an appeal, and his suspension begins immediately. He will be eligible for reinstatement on January 13, 2017, which is, uh, which, no, he'll be able to apply for reinstatement 60 days before the one-year anniversary of his suspension, which is January 13, 2017. Okay. So he'll be out for a year. That'll put Darius Hayward Bay and Sammy Coates, who's going into the second year, into much bigger roles. The Chiefs have lost two draft picks after it was revealed that they violated the anti-tampering, the anti-tampering policy when they went after Jeremy Macklin in free agency last season. Uh, the two draft picks that they lost are their 2016 third-round pick and their 2017 sixth-round pick. Also, uh, the league uh, levied fines of up to $100,000 total between Coach Andy Reid and General Manager John Dorsey. Andy Reid was fined $75,000. General Manager Dorsey fined $25,000. As many people know, um, Backlund signed a $55 million five-year deal March the 11th of 2015. And the other NFL with the quickness story, the big man, Tony Saragusa, the former defensive tackle in the NFL, will no longer be roving the sidelines for Fox News, the uh, analyst for Fox NFL coverage. Uh, Saragusa, who actually was the third person in the booth without actually being in the booth, uh, according to Ryan Glassfield of the big league, is no longer going to be a part of Fox Sports. Saragusa previously worked with the announcing team of Kenny Albert and Daryl Moose Johnson for eight seasons before last year working with the team of Tom Brenneman and Charles Davis. So now Tony Saragusa is going to be looking for work. I hope he goes land somewhere. I like him on the sidelines. He's actually a very entertaining guy and knew, and knows his stuff. So I hope he finds work. Now, on to the second quick three story. Adam LaRoche is getting ready to walk away from $13 million in a 12-year career after he shocked the organization walking in there this past Tuesday and announcing 
that he is intending to retire. LaRoche, right, LaRoche informed the team of his intention to step away from baseball after speaking on his decision overnight. His teammates and others implored him to, you know, give it a couple more days before he decides to hang it up and call it a career. But it looks as if that the 36-year-old is looking to just go ahead and walk away from the game that he has played for a very long time. Late Tuesday afternoon, LaRoche did send out a tweet saying, quote, Thank you, Lord, for the game of baseball and for giving me way more than I ever deserved, family first. Um, again, the announcement comes as he is attempting to come back from back spasms that knocked him out of a March 6th practice league game. Uh, he was slated to return to the lineup Monday, but with managers, but he did not. And with managers, Robin Ventura saying he just needed another day. So, looks like Adam LaRoche is most likely considering to walk away from baseball, wish him the best of luck in what he does in the future. And finally, in the quick three, we announced this just last week, as a matter of fact, that it was going around that this young lady, Jacqueline, would be in, would enter the Hall of Fame this year. Well, this week, it was made official the woman who has been called a true trailblazer for women in the sports entertainment industry will be inducted into the Hall of Fame in her hometown of Dallas, Texas, this coming April. Uh, Her journey to sports entertainment and mortality began in the late 1980s in her hometown of Dallas, where she trained under Skandar Akbar. Uh, She was the lone female in his academy, cutting her teeth in the world-famous Dallas Sportatorium, as she traveled to Memphis and Japan to further hone her craft before she became part of the uh, sports entertainment scene in WCW in 1997. She would gain fame in 1998 when she made the jump to the World Wrestling to World Wrestling Entertainment, back then known as the WWF, when she became the valet for Marvelous Mark Merrill, who he brought in as a means to put the spotlight back on him, away from stable. She ended up winning the reinstated WWE Women's Championship, which she became the first African-American woman to win that championship. She would capture the championship a second time in 2000, and also in 2004, she actually became the WWE Cruiserweight Champion, defeating Chavo Guerrero. So Jacqueline, well-deserved, going to take her place in the Hall of Fame. She will be inducted along with Sting, the fabulous Freebird, the Godfather, the Big Boss Man. Congratulations to Jacqueline, and that is your quick three. So, Chills, got a question for you. Chills. Hello? Well, is anybody there? Hello, is anybody there? Yeah, there you are. Yeah. I don't know what happened. We... Yeah, we had, we had some technical difficulties there. 
CIC like crazy. Well, that, is, that is that is that is the that is the pitfalls of live radio there, ladies and gentlemen. These technical difficulties get you every time. It's cool, I'm back on. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, we got a full show for we got a full show for everybody. We're gonna talk Roblox in about ten minutes. My my good friend and uh, optic, uh, and occasional contributor to the Skybox, the doctor's gonna call in and talk NCAA basketball. We're gonna talk more NFL free agency. So, Chills, did you get a chance to check out Roblox this past Saturday? Uh, I didn't catch it. Didn't catch it. Didn't catch it. Well. I can go ahead and just you know quickly run down how everything what happened with the show because I did I did actually watch it and it was it was an okay show I think that uh, the tag team title the two tag team title matches and the main event actually saved what was a pretty lackluster show um, the New Day mm-hmm. did retain their tag team championships against the League of Nations uh, which was uh, Sheamus and Wade Barrett. Uh, the Revival did retain their NXT Tag Team Championships against uh, Enzo and Cass. Uh, the Brock Lesnar-Bray Wyatt match was the most disappointing match of the night because it turned into a handicap match that wasn't a handicap match. It was Bray and Luke Harper against uh, Brock Lesnar, and Brock Lesnar just basically suplexed the crap out of uh, Luke Harper a bunch of times, hit the F5, and that was it. So pretty disappointing. Wow. Yeah, very disappointing. So at this point, the Wyatt family is a complete joke. <laughs> I mean, that's what it seems like to me, and that's pretty bad. Um, Charlotte did also defend the Diva Championship against uh, Natalia, and Natty put up a great effort, but she did fall victim to the. Uh, she did lose to. Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte is still the Divas champion. Uh, Y2J came out, cut a skating, a perfect skating heel promo against his own home country before taking on Jack Swagger and defeating Jack Swagger uh, in a matchup. And uh, the the show was highlighted by Triple H defending the World Heavyweight Championship uh, against Dean Ambrose in what was an amazing match. It was a great matchup, really hard-hitting, and one of those on-the-edge-of-your-seat type of matches where even if you're the type that knew that Triple H was going to retain the championship, there were moments where you really thought that, wait, they're actually going to make a title change here and now, right. which was which was a great which was great to hear and great to see. Uh, but in the end, Triple H did retain the championship, uh, defeating Ambrose with the pedigree, and getting the one, two, three to end the show. Again, not really a show to write home to. They did throw in, a, like I said, they threw in a couple of matches that just made like made absolutely no sense. And like I said, Bray Wyatt, the Bray Wyatt uh, Brock Lesnar match was extremely disappointing. I thought that they were going to actually have a match. Instead, it was just a suplex fest for Luke Harper that ended with Luke Harper just basically squashed. And I'm yeah, I was. I was not happy about that at all. I mean, honestly, they dropped, they had already dropped the ball on the whole Brock versus Bray feud anyway. I mean, think about it. I mean, they had the Wyatt family toss them out of the Rumble. Plus, 
a taxi four. So it's like, okay, you had the you had the build up ready, but when you switch it up, instead of the Bravers Rock at WrestleMania, that's what killed it. So even with them having a match at Roadblock or two on one or whatever, you WWE already killed the momentum for that to even work. So it, even with even with the match, I mean, the build-up was already shot. <laughs> I mean, it went in. It, it was lackluster. It became lackluster the moment that they decided to scrape the match at Mania. So, of course, uh, I didn't expect much on Roadblock. I mean, for me, that that potential feel was already shot. So the fact that it wasn't much of, of a match, I'm just not surprised. I mean, I know there was a lot of people that was disappointed, that was hoping for this match to be great, but yeah, the ball was dropped before Roadblock. I will agree. And then, like I think, like we talked about last week in the lead up to to Roadblock, like I kind of figured that there would be other matches that would be involved included in this uh, event. Oh, there was also Neville that Neville faced off against uh, Stardust in a match, which um, Neville did get the victory on that one. And I just want to take time to say, you know, give best wishes and play, and prayers out to Neville uh, this past Monday on Raw. Uh, Neville suffered suffered a broken, a fractured ankle uh, in the in a matchup against Jericho. He went to try to slide into Jericho, rolled his ankle and fractured it. Tried to continue the match and couldn't. And Jericho, being a veteran that he is, knew that he was legitimately hurt and tried to end the match with a roll up pin. Tried to go to a different finish. Tried to end the match early. Uh, unfortunately, the referee didn't really didn't get the you know what was going on and was trying to go with the original finish, which led to Jericho and referee Charles Robinson having a legit shouting match in the ring in front of everybody, uh, which led to Charles Robinson calling for a disqualification in the match. Um, Jericho could be hurt telling him that he's hurt to Charles Robinson, which Charles Robinson at one point just um, said to Jericho, don't you fucking touch me, uh, this, that, and the third. Uh, Charles Robinson did come out on Twitter uh, today and apologize for his actions. Uh, and all is real. So they're going to move on. But uh, unfortunately, Neville, because of his injury, will miss out on WrestleMania. And uh, he should, he'll be out for at least uh, probably about two months uh, because of this injury. Uh, so, again, what's the best to Neville? And, you know, kudos to Jericho being the veteran that he is you know, rec- recognizing a legitimate injury has occurred to the point that Neville couldn't continue and was trying to end the match quickly to get Neville some help and, you know, being it handled the way that he did. Yeah, uh, I mean, half off the jerk over that, though. I mean, he he automatically saw what happened and was trying to do the, vet- do the veteran thing. Uh Let's see any uh, any other wrestling news? Uh, 
our northern wrestling news. I mean, Roman Reigns did make his return to Raw this past Monday booty. and beat, booty beat hair. the crap out of yeah, booty hair and beat the crap out of Triple H. Uh, Triple H did get busted open the hard way when he got hit with a, a steel case inside his head. Uh, he needed staples to close up the the case, the the, the cut above his head. Uh, but now it looks like Roman Reigns is now on the road to WrestleMania and will be uh, a part of the festivities going forward. So I'm sure that there are a lot uh, of people out there that are so happy to see Roman Reigns back. Only a certain, only a select few. Um, uh, what was your thoughts on the fan reaction that he received? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. He like he got booed out of the freaking building. It was like, okay, like do y'all not hear this? This man is getting booed. Exactly. Like, there's nothing that y'all can do to make people like this guy. I mean, you just can't. It, it's just not. I mean, they, it's like it's like they keep trying the same felt recipe over and over and over. This guy is just not over. He cannot get over. Your fans do not like this guy. I mean, women cream for him, but that's about it. Well, 90% of your fan base does not like this guy. There's something that you have to do to say, you know what? Here's not the guy. Fuck it. Let's at least give him my fucking heel turn. But right now, you have this guy that nobody likes, no one respects. All the above. I mean, nothing about Roman Reigns stands out. Period. I mean, you tried to force this guy down our throat, and we reject, we rejected it. You tried to build this guy up like he's fucking Samoan Cena, and we're not accepting it. I mean, they built this guy up wrong. They scripted him wrong. So, when you keep trying to feed the fans bullshit, they're not going to accept it. In Roman Reigns, the DMV, uh, the WWE universe does not accept you. Your status with us is denied. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody knows this. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. We need to amend that and add the WWE, the picture of the WWE logo next to that definition because it's obvious that they are the pure definition of insanity because they keep trying and trying and trying to make us believe that this man right here, Roman Reigns, is going to be the face of the BE of, of the uh of the wrestling of this wrestling organization, WWE. And like Jay Z said, we don't believe you. You need more people. Exactly. And it's you know, it's it's obvious that it's not it, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen and it need it it's come on guys, like Dean Ambrose put on a great match against Triple H. He told a story with his match against Triple H and Roblox. I mean, this is a guy who I think you can get behind as being someone who can be the top baby face in the company. You know, because he's this crazy, insane guy who who doesn't care, but he will put on a great match. And he did that on 
Saturday. He's done that in the past. He's got a matchup against Brock Lesnar, no holds barred at WrestleMania that I'm pretty sure he'll put on a great match for that too. Even if Brock is all exactly. he's doing is throwing him around the ring with suplexes, Dean Ambrose will put on a great match. Exactly. So, Plus, I mean, with Dean, I mean, he's relatable to the fans. He's just not a character. He's something that the fans actually can relate to. He's someone that the fans actually believe in. He's someone that the fans actually, like, this guy's a fucking lunatic. I like him. I mean, he does great promos. He's great in the ring. He gives you that star quality that the WWE needs to really look at. Okay, this guy's way too over. It's time to put the championship strap on him. This is the guy that we need to push as our top. So, we'll keep an eye on that one, and, uh, you know, WrestleMania's right around the corner, so can't wait to see. Right. A lot of people are not looking forward to WrestleMania. They just say that the card is not going to, it's not going to do, it's not going to be as good. I, I got to I mean, ask a question, though, Chills. Before we, I got to ask a question to you, Chills, before we move on to, to college basketball. Do you think that this WrestleMania will equal up to how much to the sucker tube that was WrestleMania 2000. Uh, honestly, we said this last year because I mean the card wasn't that impressive, but this year I mean it, it just looks worse. I mean you have Triple H versus Roman Reigns. We already know that Roman is getting a belt. Nobody wants to see that unless they change something. Hopefully they change something like they did last year. Then, yes, you're about to have Roman Reigns get booed out of the arena, as always, on the biggest stage of the hall, in one of the biggest stadiums in the United States and the world. So, do, so WWE, do y'all really want that? Do y'all really, really want to put this man in a position to get carried, to get booed during his WrestleMania moment? Let's see, Undertaker versus Shane. A lot of high stakes. This could be possibly one of the best matches of the night. I mean, we haven't seen Shane wrestle in years. However, Shane does train a lot. And he's been training like crazy. I think Shane can still go. Undertaker is possibly in the best shape that he's been in a long time. So that match might be possibly the match of the night. Brock versus Dean, that could be a great match. I mean, street fight, Dean might actually have the advantage in that match. But, I mean, the rest of this card, though, I'm just not looking forward to it. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It is just missing, it's missing a lot. I wish they would bring back the money in a bank match, though. That would be great. Instead of having it as a pay-per-view, keep it for WrestleMania only, please. Yeah, especially because you, you don't have a, especially because you don't have two championships. So why have it as a pay-per-view 
and you can have it as a special attraction at WrestleMania like you had before. That would be great. Exactly. I mean, that would be smart. <laughs> um, you know, we're just saying. It would be. Yeah. But <sighs> we're going to move on to the NCAA tournament. Uh, before we bring our, our guest on, if um, he's on the line already, uh, I want to go over the first four uh, matchups that are, take, are taking place to determine who's going to enter the field of 64 uh, that starts tomorrow, the 17th. Uh, first, out of the south, south region, uh, Wichita State with a 70-50 to 50 victory over Vanderbilt. They move on as the 11th seed in the south region. They will be going on to face Arizona in the uh, first round. Uh, in the east, the 11th, uh, that will determine who's going to be the 11th seed in the east region. Uh, that matchup is still being determined right now. Michigan and Tulsa, they're currently tied at 34 apiece early on in the second in the second uh, half. Uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on that one. Meanwhile, the West matchup to determine who's going to face the Oregon Ducks in the first round went to Holy Cross by four, 59 to 55 over Southern U. And Fair, and uh, Fairleigh Dickinson fell to Florida Gulf Coast big time, 96 to 65. But wow. that game, but Florida Gulf Coast cannot enjoy that victory too long because they have a matchup with the ACC Conference Tournament champions, the North Carolina Tar Heels, in the first round. So the field of 64 is now set. We are set to go with the field of 64 starting on March 17th as 64 teams make their march to Houston to play in the national championship on April the 4th. So I just want to know, do we have our special guest online to talk about this? Is our special guest here? Yeah. Let's get him on. He's the co-host of Triple Threat Talk. He's a contributor to the Skybox. He's our he's our NCAA March Madness expert. Is the doctor on the line? What's going on, guys? How are you all doing today? Doc, what up? What's going on? Hey, how's it going? You know, I have to say one thing. You you said far, Fairly Dickinson fell to Florida Gulf Coast. Now, let me tell you a story. So. Uh, Sunday, the brackets come out in in the most ad nauseum selection show I've ever I've ever witnessed in my life. It was two hours to go through something. Normally, it takes thirty minutes. So I'm I'm watching this and I'm praying for imminent death because it's so boring. And I'm sitting there like just just please release the bracket already. And so they say play in game. Uh, they, they say playing game, Florida Gulf Coast to Fairleigh Dickinson. And I, I, I looked at my wife, and I looked back, and I said, that's, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. I said, they're going to kill Fairleigh Dickinson. I said, that game's going to be a 30-point win. So fast forward to last night, <laughs> we're on the air, and I'm talking about my observation to this, and our TV and studio wasn't working. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on in the game. I said, Florida Gulf Coast is, is you know, I said they're they're just so much better than Fairleigh Dickinson. I said it's going to be ridiculous, and so my producer said, well, "What do you think the point spread is right now?" I said, 
I said, if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably 90 to 60 right now. And he said, are you sure the TV's not working in there? And I said, yeah, why? And this is all a conversation happening on air, so it's recorded. And he said, because the score is exactly 90 to 60 right now. <laughs> so wow. I was like, dude, I was like, I was like, I was like, yeah, they're going to kill them. I, and I told him, I said, I said, every year I do a 16 seed to watch. And it was and has been Florida Gulf Coast Sunday. And I, it's funny, too, because when I did my bracket, I selected, I, I circled. In the bracket pool I do, you can just write in play in. I didn't do that one with that one. I did, I put in Florida Gulf Coast, like flat out. That's the only one I did it for. The rest of them I took the play in. But I am so high on this Florida Gulf Coast team. And I tell you what, come, uh, come, come, uh, come their first game against North Carolina, they better North Carolina better not take them lightly because they will kill them. The the Florida Gulf Coast guards are some of the fastest guards I've seen. Marcus Page is only one man, and I'll tell you what: when you see Florida Gulf Coast stretch the stretch the court like they have been, I'm not saying I'm not flat out saying that they're going to beat North Carolina. What I am saying is that I would be shocked if it's not going to be a close game, and if it's going to happen this year, I said it's going to be North Carolina or it's going to be Virginia. Not because Virginia is not good, but because Virginia plays a pace of ball that allows teams to hang around. And Hampton is a team that we have seen, yes, they've got 10 losses, but I'm going to tell you what. So did a George Mason team that went uh, to the Final Four a, couple, a few years ago. They had 10 losses too. But when you run, when you allow a team, like Hampton, to stick around. When you play slow ball like Virginia, you better be ready to reap the consequences because when they slow down, that's going to allow a team that spurts, that plays in spurts like these 16 seeds tend to do. What happened last year? Some of them were up at the half against their number one seeds, and then they started dying off because they play on adrenaline the first half of the game. Am I right or am I wrong? You're right. Yeah, so when they play again, when they play, when they play these teams, when and when Virginia plays this team, like last year, last year Virginia got upset fairly early as well. You can't allow these 16 seeds to hang in because they literally have nothing to lose. So when you're looking, you're letting them play around, when you're letting them spurt, uh, do so at your own peril. So, I mean, that's all I have to say about those couple of 16 seeds. I think they're dangerous. I think the Florida Gulf Coast team is dangerous. Anybody who's listened to Triple Threat talk for an extended period of time, which several hundred people have, uh, now several thousand people have enjoyed us in the Louisville area, but oh, we built our following just like you guys on Blog Talk, on Blog Talk Radio two years ago when Florida Gulf Coast made that amazing run. I predicted them to go down and lose to Florida. You can go back. You can go back and pull that file. It's open out there. I said, Florida Gulf Coast is going to go, and Florida will be the one to beat them. And it happened. So this, these teams are dangerous. Don't make any mistake about it. So, Doc, uh, we already know the bracket. Uh, the top four seeds are, as you mentioned, North Carolina and Virginia are two of the top, uh, two top seeds. The other top seeds are Kansas and Oregon. Which of those four top seeds do you think uh, will make it? Will make a deep run in the in the in the tournament? 
Um, I'm to be on to be told, and this may shock people. I don't think any of these four seeds are going to do much in the tournament. I, any of these number one seeds, Kansas. Uh, if you go back and you look at Bill Self's tenure at Kansas, he should have won the title, much like Kentucky's coach Calipari. He should have won the championship three or four times by now. His last title win was in 2008, and he's been eliminated in the first round, most embarrassingly, by a Bucknell team a few years ago. So when you look at Bill Self's coaching in the postseason, I'm not impressed. Yes, they've hung a couple final four banners, but I'm just not impressed overall. Moving to the west side of things, Oregon. Oregon's been a team that was as high as 18th in the nation, and really, that's the only team besides Arizona that, and, and for a short time, UCLA, that has been ranked in the top 25. Everybody's saying the Pac-12 this, the Pac-12 that. It's so great. It's so great. I'm here to tell you I'm not impressed with the strength of the Pac-12. I look for Oregon to make an early exit probably in the Sweet 16 round. You go to North Carolina. Kentucky beat a Duke team that, you know, that has gone round and round with North Carolina twice this season twice and and they took him to the limit both times when you when you look at that you say well well, what's the connection there well the fact is when you have a team that plays a common opponent Kentucky beat a Duke team that matches up incredibly well with North Carolina I think the team that's going to I have Kentucky going in my bracket to the final four I had North Carolina losing to Kentucky and Michigan State ultimately beating Kentucky and that's where I have. Uh, that's where it comes down to Virginia. I have Virginia losing in the Sweet 16 as well. I really think this is the year that we don't see any number one seeds make it to the Final Four because the 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 parity in, in college basketball this year has been ridiculous. There have been six weeks where 60 percent of the top 25 lost. We've never seen that before. We've never seen that before, and I wouldn't doubt if we'll ever see it again. But I'm not impressed with any of these number one seeds. And to be, if I had to pick one, if you pinched my arm and you said pick one, I'd probably say Virginia because I like their style of ball overall. Like I said, you just can't allow teams to play with you and keep up with you, the teams that you should be putting away early. All right. So, my, you know, my squad, the Maryland Terrapins, uh, finished fourth in the Big Ten during the season, and they lost in the uh, Big Ten tournament to Michigan State. Uh, they ended up with the fifth seed, and they're going they're going to be in the South region playing against uh, Summit League champions, the South, uh, South Dakota Jackrabbits, uh, this coming Friday. Uh, so my question to you is, is this, will Maryland face an upset, or will they at least move on past South Dakota and face either uh, California or Hawaii? I think they'll move forward. I don't think your Terrapins have much to fear there. Uh, South Dakota State is good, and, of course, 12 over 5, we know is going to happen. It happens a lot. I don't think Maryland's in any difficulty here. I've seen Maryland play several times this year. Maryland has impressed me. Uh, I I like their ability to stretch the court. I like how they body up. I, I like how they play close to the rim. What Maryland has to worry about is rebounding. I think Maryland uh, they do well on rebounding, but so does South Dakota State. South Dakota State beat North Dakota State in the Stomach League Championship. And I'll tell you what, it was a rebound match. You know, you had people grabbing every – you hardly had any second-chance points in that game because it was – you had a lot of rebounds in that match. So South Dakota State, they can bound. 
they they do very well on the glass. And I wouldn't. I think what they're going to be doing is is playing a Cal team. I think Maryland moves on in that round to play Cal. And like I said, I'm not impressed with the with the Pac-12. So I think your Terrapins are clear to go to the Sweet 16. Uh, I don't think they're quite strong enough to beat Kansas, but uh, I do think that Kansas, like I said, I, I don't see them making it out of the uh, out of the South region at all. But I I think Maryland will fall to Kansas, unfortunately, for your Terrapins. But hey, it'll be a good run because they'll make it to the Sweet 16. That's okay, right? That that sounds like a good thing. This actually <laughs> brings me to a follow-up question. Like the other five seeds in this tournament are Indiana, uh, the Baylor Bears. And Purdue. So you already said Maryland's not going to be a five that's going to be bounced by 12. Do you see which of the three others that I just named will be bounced by 12 for you? I think if if I had to pick one of them, it would be Indiana. I like Chattanooga. Uh, Chattanooga has played very tough. Uh, Indiana took a horrible loss to Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. I I expected the the championship game to be Michigan State and Indiana. And I expected Indiana to actually come out on top of that. And then that kind of switched my projection. Indiana just played awful. I mean, you're, you're watching the game right now. It's a snooze fest. It was 28-20 at half. There's no way that Michigan team should have beat Indiana. There's just no way. Because Troy Williams and Yogi Ferrell on Indiana squad should be able to – they're shooters. They're shooters. Like, I, I don't mean to steal a Dickie V term, but those those guys are men, baby. They're men. You know, that. They know how to ball. When when you have perimeter shooting like those two can supply, there's no way a team like Michigan should beat you. Michigan showed up. They embarrassed Indiana at the last second on a three pointer in the in the first round or the second round of the Big Ten tournament. And I think that's damaged this Indiana team. And I think when you look at a team like Chattanooga, who once again they can stretch the floor very well. They they. They don't work the interior like a normal team. They tend to crowd the interior. You watch this game, you're going to see two or three guys, not necessarily big guys, crowding around the rim. But they've got to do that, too, because they've got to block out some of the tall defenders and some of the tall offensive players that make up Indiana. Indiana's backcourt is tall, or their frontcourt is tall. So, you know, Chattanooga's got to be able to crowd out, and they've got to be able to body up against a much tougher uh, at least seemingly tough for Indiana team, but at the, in the end, I think Indiana was damaged in that game. I look for Chattanooga to off Indiana. All right, uh, last question for you, Doc. Uh, I know you made a prediction last week of who was going to be cutting down the nets in Houston, but now that we see how the bracket has played out and how how everything is set up, are you sticking with your prediction of last week, or have you changed that? I'm I'm more confident in my prediction now that I've seen the bracket. I think. This Michigan State team, they can, they match up extremely well against the Virginia team. That I, like I said, if I, I don't see them making it to the Final Four or to the Elite Eight to punch their ticket to the Final Four, but I do see that Virginia will, um, uh, will, will at least make it. Uh, if they do make it to play Michigan State. I do say the Michigan State will beat them. I, I just – Denzel Washington, here's an interesting stat for you. In every game that Denzel Washington has played for Michigan State this year, they're undefeated. They have not lost when Denzel Washington has started in their lineup. And uh, Denzel Valentine, I'm sorry, I said Washington. I don't know why. Den, uh, Denzel, uh, Denzel Valentine, they are 17-0 and 0 
when Denzel Valentine is starting. Let's think about that for a second. When you when you realize, say, I was getting ready to say he's like he's going to be having them play a basketball at Pelican <laughs> Bay. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when when you see Denzel Valentine play, he is in it to win it. I mean, all teams are, but this kid has heart. He he has scored triple doubles this year. He is all out. He Hello? injured at the start of the season, and he is out to prove something. And I'm telling you what, this Michigan State team is dangerous. Got on record saying he's sticking with his pick of Michigan State. And uh, Doc, I just Hello? gotta know how many how many tournament pools chills you we can hear you. Right. So so Doc, how many tournament pools are you in? With this. I'm in three. I, I have three brackets out there. Uh, I don't. I'm not one of these people to fill out multiple brackets. I do one bracket every year because I'm a Kentucky homer. I mean, come on. They're the Kentucky Wildcats, the most winning program in college basketball. Uh, they've cut down eight nets. You know, the umpteen million Final Fours. They've won the SEC championship more than every team in the SEC combined. So every year, I do a, a fantasy bracket where Kentucky Hello? wins, and then I do. I do a for real bracket. So uh, I've got uh, – I'm in two tournament pools, one at work, and then one with like 900 people. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's it's oh. crazy. If you win that one, you're you're the man. If you win that one, you got bragging rights. <laughs> I, I, well, I would think so. One thing I, I wanted to so. add, if you let me, uh, one thing I wanted to add was I think this Midwest region is prime – for a lot of upsets, another five seed that I do that I think could easily lose is Purdue. Arkansas Little Rock is an incredible team. They stretch the floor. Uh, Fresno State is going up against Utah, and Utah's guards tend to be a little bit shaky. And when I see that in a team with Fresno State, I think to myself, there's an opportunity there for a squad to come in after winning a mid-major tournament and knocking off a Power 5 team. And when I look at Utah and I see how shaky their guards can play, I think Fresno State is ripe for a pickoff of Utah to go on and play my other upset, which eh, 6 over 11 is not really so bad, but it is an upset. I think Gonzaga will beat Seton Hall. I think uh, Kevin Willard has done a fantastic job turning around the Seton Hall squad. But in the, at the end of the day, I think the Zags, they're the Cinderella's. They're the original Cinderella's of the NCAA tournament. They, the crowds tend to like them. Kevin, uh, Kyle Wilcher is an incredible player. He's a likable guy. People like him. People like his background. The fact he came from Kentucky, and he's a tall guy that can shoot a three, and who doesn't like that? So the crowds tend to, tend to get behind Gonzaga, and I think that's what's going to happen in Seton Hall. So I'm thinking three – Maybe even as many as four upsets out of this Midwest region in the opening weekend. All right. Well, Doc, Doc, we thank you again for, you know, coming in and giving us some some, some knowledge when it comes to Mark's Madness. We'll probably be hitting you up a few more times as the tournament progresses and give us some more breakdown. That's fine. Man. Hey, I got to ask you all a question. You asked yeah, me who I, who I got winning. Who do you guys got winning? I'm going to, honestly, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the rubble with Michigan State. Taking Michigan State? All right. I mean, like I said, I, you know, it's funny because the the Vegas odds are in Kansas' favor. 
The top four schools to win this year are Kansas, North Carolina, Michigan State, and Kentucky, according to the uh, Vegas odds makers. So I think if you did, if you picked any of those teams, I think uh, I think you you're not doing so bad. How about you, Champ? Which one did you pick? Um, I'm going with North Carolina. I mean, they're you're going with Yeah, I'm going with the classic dynasty like team in North Carolina. I mean, their region, the East region, doesn't look like it's going to be too daunting of a, a task for them to get through. I mean, the only thing that might give them trouble may be either uh, West Virginia or Xavier, but only one of those two teams will face them uh, in, the, in the Elite Eight. So I think North Carolina gets through the East, and I think they go on and they, they cut down the nets in Houston, but I may be wrong because depending on who comes out of the Midwest or who comes out, you know, whoever comes out of the Midwest. Well, fair enough. I, I I like that. Uh, I like that enthusiasm about North Carolina. I, I hate that you're giving not giving my Wildcats any love, but it's okay. It's okay. I, 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 I'm a man. I, I can I can shrug it off. Hey, I could have been a homer and said Maryland, but even I'm not that. Even I'm not that far. <laughs> Honestly, though, it's funny that you mentioned the Wildcats, though. I in my bracket that I possibly want to do another one. But I do have Kentucky going deep in that bracket. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, they match up incredibly well with North Carolina. Uh, Indiana, I think they match up well against. I give the advantage there. Their their backcourt to Kentucky in a potential matchup with Indiana, that is. The backcourt, I think, goes to Kentucky. The frontcourt means a little bit more towards Indiana, but no one on Indiana's squad can match the speed of Tyler Ulis. I'm telling you what, Tyler Ulis is the best point guard in the nation. And if you talk to somebody else who thinks otherwise, you tell them to come see me. I mean, he is just absolutely incredible. He's got an eye for the game. Coach Cal was ejected from a game earlier this year, and Tyler Eulis took it over. He took control of the game. A student, a sophomore, took control of the game, ran the plays they needed, and they won by 30 points in that South Carolina game that Coach Cal was run off with a sophomore point guard not only calling the shots on the court, but calling the shots for the team. You tell me how many times you've seen that. Tyler Ulis is a special kid, and despite his size, I do look for him to be playing in the league one day. I don't think it'll be this year, although he said that he'd like to declare this year. But I think those NBA scouts are going to want to see what he can do against some tall kids, and I think they're going to see that, be able to see that next year. Uh, you know, he played incredibly well this year. But, you know, usually with NBA scouts, they want to see you that you have the potential to play more uh, with the bigger talent. And they're going to want to see you for a second year, especially when you're five foot nine, like Tyler Eulis. Yeah. 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 Well, Doc, again, we thank you for coming on the show and dropping the knowledge. Uh, we'll be looking forward to speaking with you again uh, as the tournament progresses. All right, guys. Thanks for having me again. And yeah, call me anytime. My phone's my phone's always open for you, champ. Give me a call. We'll 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 rough it out. So, anyways, you guys have a good night and uh, let the madness begin, huh? Yeah, you do the yeah, same. Madness begins in 24 hours. Less than 24 hours, actually. Y'all have a good night. Take it easy. Thank you. All right. That was a lot of knowledge on the on the March Madness. So for anybody yeah, out there who hasn't filled out a bracket, if you haven't filled out a bracket, listen to that segment right there. That might help you to to fill out your bracket. You never know. You might have a winning bracket that you can thank Doc for it. And thank the guy exactly. as well. So, exactly. so, so chill. Exactly. 
So, Chills, one week ago, free agency opened up with a flurry. It's kind of calmed down a little bit, but one team has made a couple of big moves in the last uh, in the last 24 hours, and that team has been the New England Patriots. Have you seen the two moves that they've made in the last 24 hours? Okay, I saw the trade that they made with Arizona. They sent Chandler Jones to the Cardinals for what a second round pick and a what center? No, it was a guard. It was a guard. Okay, it was a guard. That was one. (coughs) But of course, they signed uh, Chris Long, and they also made another trade. They acquired. They acquired. Martellus Bennett from the Chicago Bears. They did. And if you know their history when it comes to two tight ends, you know that this is actually a very good move for them because before when they had Gronk and Jailbird or Aaron Hernandez, they were pretty much unstoppable in the passing game. Yeah, uh, so now they're bringing in Bennett, and I think that they're going to once again go back to that, that being unstoppable in the passing game, having both Gronk and Bennett out there uh, on the edges as tight ends. Uh, ben is a pretty good uh, run blocker as well. Uh, so I really think that, and then with the Chandler Jones trade, uh, and I told somebody about this when the trade was made because they couldn't believe the trade was made. And I told them, I said, logically, it makes sense because uh, Chandler Jones is going into a contract year. This year is, is a contract year for him, and it's obvious that the Patriots will most likely not be able to resign him for the loot he'll be looking for. So rather exactly. than have him play out his final year here or there and then having to release him they went and not get anything for it, they ended up getting a draft pick and a project offensive guard to work on uh, as compensation. So, again, this is showing how smart that the Patriots are when it comes to making these to making moves in the offseason. You know, most teams, they want to make these big moves and, you know, win now. The Patriots are all about pet projects and all about trying to do things to make sure that, you know, they have long-term success going forward. And so this trade right here, it it makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Uh, Champ, yeah, it does. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, people probably thinking Arizona getting a better trade, but, I mean, this is New England. This is a team that grooms its own talent. And make them to and make them into stars. I mean, I don't know what they are feeding. What Belichick is feeding this team, but whatever it is, it has worked for the past what sixteen years. So it's like this is a team that has won consistently, and this is the way that Belichick has won. You don't see a lot of big name players coming to New England. I mean, you might get a few. I mean, you had a Randy Moss. You. You had the West Brothers. You had Junior Seau, but you, I mean, most of the most of the Patriots' talent and star players were players that were developed under their system. Players, uh, players that other teams overlooked or didn't know what they had. So honestly, this trade does make perfect sense. Now the Patriots are sitting with two second round picks and two third round picks. Because remember, the Patriots. The Patriots had to forfeit their first round pick due to uh, the Flake Gate. Yeah, this is true. Like I said, with those second round picks, they could definitely make some noise and get somebody that, you know, can really contribute to their team. 
Uh, another move that was made today that was big, uh, James Laurinaitis, who spent uh, seven seasons with the Rams as their middle linebacker, he was released uh, last month after the team had announced that they're moving to L.A. He is now going to be joining the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Saints yeah, signed in the day. The terms, the terms of the deal were not released immediately. Um, he was a cap casualty when he was cut, and there's talk that he will have to most likely play maybe an outside linebacker position because the Saints already have a middle linebacker on their uh, on their roster, Stephon Anthony, who um, in his rookie season last year, he was a first-round selection in the draft last year, started all 16 games at middle linebacker. So um, they signed Laranatis. They also signed Nate Stupar uh, on Wednesday as well, to, um, who's also a linebacker. So it looks like the Saints are really trying to bulk up their defense uh, for for next season. Yeah, uh, yeah, they really are though. I'm looking at yeah. this draft like, okay, I think they might be going defensive line with this draft. Uh, yeah, Drew Brees is getting older, but he still has enough left in the tank to get this franchise over. I think they're building this defense up, which was one of the worst from last season. Oh, let's talk about them skins, though. Hey, the skins are—you know—they're—they're they're being quiet when it comes to what they're doing in terms of the uh, free agency. They're being very quiet. You know, us being here in the DC area, we're so used to them going out there and making all these, you know, humongous moves and um, things of that nature. But it's good to see that they're actually being very quiet and just—you know—just making making the smart moves. And um, yeah. trying to make a football move. Exactly, that's what they're trying to do: making football moves, which you know it helps when it comes to um, Scott McClure. I mean, Scott's definitely showing why he is a very good football mind with these moves instead of you know saying going out there and just exactly. being like, yeah, we're going to you know we're going to go get this big free agent guy who had one good year and then you know. Um, then we're just going to pay him all this money and whatever. No, they're not doing that. They're, you know, and they're they're trying to make something, they're trying to do something good to, for this team. I mean, this team just came off winning the NFC East out of nowhere. So they re-signed mm-hmm. Junior Gallette. They re-signed Junior Gallette yep. one more year. Um mm-hmm. They let go of Tom Compton, and Tom Compton just is just signed with the Falcons. Uh, Josh Reeves is staying on. Uh, yeah, Josh Reeves is staying on. Now, Junior Gillette's deal is like $4 million for one year. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's good. That'll give him a chance to, like, test out the water, see if he can be good for a long term. Um, David Bruton, who is a state, who is a safety with the Super Bowl-winning uh, Denver Broncos, is now coming on. He'll be on for three years, $9 million. A year, uh, he recorded 49 tackles, a sack, two forced fumbles, and 13 interceptions in 13 games with the team. With the team that won Super Bowl 50, uh, he spent the first seven years of his career with the Broncos after being a fourth-round pick in the 2009 draft. Um, he excelled on special teams for the Broncos, uh, but it is a likelihood that he'll be afforded a chance, to, a strong opportunity to start 
to uh, compete for a starting position, a strong safety, competing with uh, veteran D'Angelo Hall, who everybody remembers was moved to safety this past season after being as being a cornerback for for his entire career. Um, they also re-signed cornerback uh, Will Blackman uh, to a two-year deal. To once again, they're trying to fortify a secondary that was very porous and uh, very susceptible to a lot of big plays. Um, Blackman, you know, played for Jacksonville, the Giants, and Green Bay, and then last season signed with the Redskins for a one-year deal. And he had a great show in this past season. Um, he made more. He had never made more than eight stars in a season and only had one career interception. But he really broke out this season and was the shining spot of an otherwise very poor uh, secondary. So, and then we also re-signed uh, Tress Way to a five-year contract. Ooh, I swear to God, Tress Way was like the, he was like the MVP of the team. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> he was. He I mean, was he averaged, uh, like the, the dude averaged 46.1 yards a punt with a net average of 39.8 yards on 70 punts last year. Um, 2014, he led the league in punting. He improved after he had some early struggles in the year, but, you know, he he was he was an exclusive rights free agent. He did so, he did well, so now he's on for another uh, five years. But the, we also the one added story a new was, addition. Which is? We added a new addition. Uh, we new also, <laughs> the Redskins also brought in a defensive lineman, Kendall Reyes, from who was with the San Diego, San Diego Chargers. Reyes will be, be back under his former defensive coordinator, Joe Burry, as a wrestler. Honestly, I thought that was a much-needed move after releasing Hatcher and Pot Roast. I mean, it was right on... I mean, honestly, that move was right on time. So, we just bulked up our defensive line. I still think we're get we're going to draft Andrew Billings in the draft, though. Yeah, I really think that the Redskins are definitely primed to try to up to try to bolster the defense uh, because I think that the, you know the offense is okay. I think that if they can bolster the defense, I think that they'll be in a lot more games next season. Uh, and speaking mm-hmm. of the offense, uh, it came out about four days ago that the Redskins are expected to resume long-term contract talks with uh, quarterback Kirk Cousins. Now, as everybody knows, Kirk Cousins did sign uh, his franchise tender to play uh, one more year at $19.95 million. But the Redskins are going to try to still sign him to a long-term deal, and they have until July 15th to sign him to a multi-year extension, at which point, they won't. They have to wait until next off season to try to get a long term deal, and he'll have to play under that one year tender. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, given what what uh, what Osweiler got from Houston last week, it'll be interesting to see what the Redskins will do with uh, will he'll in the coming in the coming weeks. I mean, you give a guy who's unproven thirty seven million up front and seventy two overall. I'm sure Kurt. I'm sure Kurt will be. Definitely looking in that range. Damn you, quarterback market. Damn you. I got 
I got a question for you, though, Shills. When you look okay. at Osweiler's contract and then you look at the body of work that Kirk Cousins has given compared to Osweiler, do you think, do you, do you feel that Kirk could get a contract similar to that here or would he have to go elsewhere to get a contract like that? Yes and no. Yes, because, I mean, for the simple fact that the fact that he's going to get 19 plus for this one year alone. So there is possible, there's a strong possibility that he can get it now. I mean, the organization believes in him and is behind him. The head coach, people in the front office, Scott, et cetera, et cetera. There's no doubt that he can get a similar contract. No, and here's the and here, but there's a no too. What the Redskins are trying to do is build a team. There's still a lot of missing pieces. I mean, they don't have a strong backup at this point, but if those other pieces are more valuable than Kirk Cousins, or if Kirk Cousins really want more money than what the Redskins are willing to give, then he could possibly be a free agent. So this could go either way. He's either going to get the money in D.C. or D.C. is like, you know what, we're not going to pay you that much. I mean, yes, the quarterback market is what it is, but you're not Tom fucking Brady. You're not Aaron Rodgers. Hell, you're not even at this point Jameis Winston. So, yeah, go either way. Well, I mean, you're right about that. But, uh, you know, real quick, back to the point about the defensive line. You know, we re-signed Goldston, uh, also the defense. We re-signed Recruiter Goldston one more year. We got uh, to mention about Mason Foster. We also re-signed Duke Nacho. Uh, to uh, extension, a one-year extension. So, I think that that's the that is the the uh, main. I think that's the main one of the main focuses of the team this all season is the defense, uh, trying to get them get that straight and straight away. So that way, when it comes down to it, offense can you know produce something and keep them in games. So they they're looking. I think that the goal is clear that they. No one thought we was going to win the division last year. And then we came out of nowhere and won the division. So now the bottom line is they want to do it again. And they want to make sure that when they get to the playoffs, they don't get embarrassed uh, like they did this past season against Green Bay. So I think that's what's mm-hmm. going to happen here. And uh, real quick, uh, uh, Will Hill, it was announced earlier today, Will Hill, who – was formerly the Ravens' uh, safety, uh, has been suspended 10 games for violating the league's substance abuse policy, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter and Adam Kaplan. Uh, early Wednesday before the announcement was even made, uh, Hill was released by the Ravens. Uh, Hill, the 26-year-old safety, recorded 64 tackles, a sack and an interception last season, playing in all 16 games for the Ravens. Now, this is his fourth 
suspension related to performance enhancing drugs and substances during his playing career. Now, there's a possibility that his stock will, uh, his market value will be diminished because of the suspension, but they say that he is a, an excellent run stopper and has improved his ball skills throughout his career. So there's a possibility that he will land somewhere, but wherever he lands, they will only have him for six games next season. So I think he wow. may, if he does land somewhere, he's going to definitely be in a backup role. Definitely be in a backup role. Yeah. Interesting. That's very uh, interesting. So, so, yeah, let me ask you this question, though, Chad. What's up? Okay. Out of the three major teams, the three teams that made the most impact on free agency, the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Oakland Raiders. I mean, the Giants spent over 200000 well, $200 million to walk up their defense. I mean, they brought in guys that, I, I, I wouldn't call them big-name guys, but they brought in guys to help their defense. I mean, Janoris Jenkins, uh, they brought in um, Keenan Robinson. They re-signed uh, JPP. They added they added another tackle on another line. But at all I mean if you look at everything these guys have done, none of them have yet reached Pro Bowl status. You have Jacksonville. They bring in Chris Avery. Like for real? Like I'm 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 gonna talk with Chris Avery for a minute, like for real? They brought in Prince Omakamura. Makamura. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they spent a lot of cash. Then you have the Oakland Raiders. You got Bruce Irvin. They brought in Bruce Irvin. Like, I mean, who, really... who else did the Raiders bring in, though? Who else did the Raiders I mean, bring in? I they can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head who else they brought in. But, oh, I mean, oh, you look at the office, the left tackle from the Ravens. Right, 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 right. Well, I mean, you look at the moves mostly by the Giants. I'm not going to lie, because they are in our division, that, that kind of scares me, especially defensively. That that scares me because, you know what I'm saying, that, that, that definitely brings a, a, a new element uh, when we have to play that team twice next season. Okay, but here's here's the question: Out of those three teams, which team you see, which team you believe had the best chance of making the playoffs in 2016? Giants. The Giants definitely. And here's why. Now, Oakland, mm-hmm. Oakland, it, it, Oakland is a close second because uh, Derek Carr is going into his third year, and he's got a dynamic duo of receivers out there that are just going to be balling out of control. But the problem is, is that I don't, don't think that they're, you know, even though they're in a weak division like the AFC West, and we all, I got a feeling that Denver's going to be a part of that, is going to be weak this coming season. With the fact that they're still scrambling looking for a quarterback, I just don't see Oakland, unless Oakland wins that division, I just don't see them making the playoffs. Because you're going to have a lot of teams in the AFC that are going to are really going to be improved and really going to be bringing the thunder. Uh, Jacksonville, 
as much as they're trying to make all the, you know, all the right moves, they still don't really have the like have what they need as a complete package to make a playoff run. I think that they, I think that if they make a run to the playoffs, it would be a great story. But I just don't see it happening. Now the Giants, they have proven time and time again that they can make that run. They're gonna have Victor Cruz back, as you know, he was out. He's been he hasn't played in almost two years, really. Uh, but they're gonna have him back along with Odell Beckham Jr. So Eli's gonna have some targets to throw to. Uh, if they can get their running game going, their defense is pretty solid. I really think that the Giants, out of those three teams, are going to be the team that makes the run, that's going to make the playoffs, and they'll probably be the second team out of the NFC East to make the playoffs behind whoever's the division champion. Uh, but Oakland is a close second because of the fact that their offense, they have offensive weapons, they just need a running game as well, a, a stout running game. And Jacksonville, they just, I just don't see it at all. Okay. Okay. The Giants did bring in some nice pieces, especially towards their defense. But the the Giants have always had talent on the defensive end and still haven't had a strong D. I'm looking at all these players they brought in. Okay. No, I mean, Janoris Jenkins might be the biggest name out of everyone they brought in. But even even Janora doesn't play 100%. If you actually watch Janora Jenkins, he gets lazy at times during plays, during games. Like, this is the guy that gave up a fucking 60-plus yard touchdown in the final seconds of a game. So, to, I mean, to really say that Giants could be that team, I'm still not sold. I mean, we don't know if Victor Cruz might get hurt again. Might might or might not get hurt again. Also, yeah, don't never. You're not a hundred. You're not. You don't know every. You don't know what you're going to get out of Eli. You're going to get either Eli or you're going to get Mad. <laughs> Plus. The Giants are coming into the season with a new head coach. Meaning a new system. Too. I was just so thinking that too. We don't know what this Giants team is really going to be capable of coming into 2016. Will they be a competitive team or will they be somewhat okay? Jacksonville? There's still a few pieces short of <clears throat> being a complete team. I mean, they've done a lot in free agency. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they they bought in do the no the defensive tackle from Denver. Like they've spent some money to build a team. I just don't think Jacksonville are there yet. <clears throat> Even in the weak AFC South. They might they might scare a lot of teams, but I don't think they'll be the team that actually makes it to the playoffs. They might get as close as seven and nine. Even with Allen Hearns and Allen Robinson, Yeldon, Blake Bortles, and Chris Ivory. That offense might be scary, but 
we got to see what that defense is going to do. Moving on to the Oakland Raiders. Honestly, I think the Raiders have the best chance of doing it. Last year, this was a young team that was a couple of games from actually making the playoffs. I mean, they went, they finished seven and nine. They did give a lot of teams a good scare. They were competitive in majority of their games in 2015. You have Derek Carr. You have Derek Carr, who's getting better by the year. He has good receivers around him. He has a good run game around him. Now you add another piece to his offensive line to make sure that he doesn't get any pressure and to keep him from getting sacked. Then you bring in pieces on the defense. You bring in Bruce Irving. You bring in Sean Smith from the Kansas City Chiefs, a division rival at that. You bring in all these pieces to make this team even better. Reggie McKenzie did a great job of building this team to the point where it's close to being a compatible team. Now, I look at this Oakland Raiders team like, okay, they went 7-9 last year. With all these new pieces, the same coaching staff, a more experienced Derek Carr with a good draft pick. This Oakland Raiders team will be something that nobody wants to see. And honestly, even with Denver and Kansas City in the same division, I think the Raiders will be the be that one team out of the uh, out of the three that we mentioned that will get into the postseason. They pop, they w- probably won't win their division, but the a- the AFC West could, could honestly send three teams to the playoffs. That can happen. It can, but I don't know if it will. But I think the Oakland Raiders do have a legitimate shot of making the postseason. I mean, to me, they're the most put-together team right now. They have the most stability. They have the most stability out of all three. I'm just saying. I mean, the Giants don't really have that stability. (laughs) Like like the Morgan Freeman meme says, he's right. Yeah, I'm just saying, though. I mean, the Giants, no one's actually really having the stability. Uh, stability. I mean, you got the Giants pretty much starting over, even even though they do have a lot of players that's been there for years. But it's like they're still back at ground zero. They're back at ground zero. So you don't know what you're going to get out of them, even with the pieces they bought in. I mean, honestly, they overpaid for they overpaid for their defense. Jacksonville, this this. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent. I say I still think that the Giants, again, they did. They just they will find a way to, you know, make that run and everything like that. But I mean, you make some very compelling arguments as to how why Oakland. That's why I said that Oakland would be a close second in, in my eyes because of the fact that they're coming in with some new pieces, but they still have the familiarity 
of their systems and everything like that. So, you know, that's I, I agree with you on that. Like I said, that's why I said they're they're a close second for me. That's another thing with the Giants, though. The NFC East. The NFC East will be a better division than it was this past season. A lot of people are kind of looking at Philadelphia under under his microscope. Okay, yes, they do have a brand-new head coach. But if you look at some of the moves that they've made, they got rid of everything that Chip Kelly did last season. This might actually be a team that a lot of people sleep on. Doug Peterson already has pieces that he can work with. We don't know what Sam Bradford is going to do, but the Eagles might at least be 8-8 eight eight in Doug Peterson's first year. Then you have the Dallas Cowboys. You have a returning Tony Romo, who is one good hit away from retiring. Honestly, I don't think that the Dallas Cowboys would be that much of a threat. Then you got to watch the Redskins, the defending NFC East champion, who just made a huge, who made, I ain't going to say they made huge moves, but they made smart moves. With the best, possibly with the best GM in the game. I don't see the guys being able to knock off the shit. I mean, the stability is too strong, and this is the thing that's just getting better. So, <laughs> Oakland, Raiders, y'all, one of my teams to look out for is 2015. 2016, y'all will make it to the playoffs. Well, y'all have the best chance of making it to the playoffs. Anything else you want to add, Chap? Well, there are, I just there are a couple stories, little news stories, tidbits I want to add before we get out of here. First off, uh, out of UFC, uh, a couple hours ago, just announced that there's a uh, great heavyweight fight in the works for UFC 200 coming up in July uh, between former heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez and uh, Travis Brown. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. They're also thinking about having. Uh, featherweight champion Conor McGregor featured on that event as well. So that's something to look forward to. Also, uh, uh, the uh, Barry Bonds is making news. As everybody knows, Barry Bonds is now the hitting coach uh, for the Miami Marlins, and it was reported that he had a home run derby with a couple of the teams, with two members of the team during uh, spring training, and he beat them. Now, mind you, Barry Bonds is 51 years old and hasn't played in years, and he beat two young players on his team in a home run hitting contest. So it seems that either his, those Roys are still in his system, he can hit it, or something. Okay, all right. We'll leave that alone. Okay. Um, <laughs> it just might be that old It just might be that power. Might be that power. Hmm. Might be that power. And uh, one last news story. Um well, two more last news stories. Mateen Cleese, if anybody remembers that name, uh, he was a former uh, uh, Michigan State star and former professional player. Uh, he has been charged with sexual assault in connection with an alleged assault on a 24-year-old woman. 
Uh, he's being charged in Wayne County, Michigan, and he's looking at a prison sentence of, 50, of up to 15 years if he is found guilty of the charge. So, man, how, my, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, poor guy. And uh, finally, mm. for all you uh, soccer fans, you, you uh, football fans, soccer for us Americans here, uh, Barcelona, Arsenal, 3-1 to one in the second leg of the uh, Champions League uh, quarterfinal, uh, the Champions League first round that advanced to the quarterfinals of that uh, that tournament. So they will be moving on and trying to win another Champions League uh, crown. So good luck to them, for all you football fans out there. Hey, we we mentioned soccer on the show. How about that? So you yeah, can't we, say we don't do any, we, you, So you can't say we just do football and basketball. We actually mentioned soccer. Just saying. Yeah, oh, and, congratu- and congratulations to the Washington Capitals. Uh, last night in their 2-1 to victory over the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, their overtime victory, uh, they became the first team this season – to clinch a playoff spot, the first team. Uh, they already clinched when they went to overtime, getting an automatic point, which is all they needed to clinch. And then with um, Alex Ovechkin making the game-winning goal, they added another point. So the Caps are the first team to punch their ticket to the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's looking more and more like they could end up winning the Stanley Cup. We'll see <laughs> what happens when it when the Yeah, we will see. Forward. We will <laughs> see. Hopefully they won't choke in the postseason. Hopefully they won't. That's all I got, though. Well, it's been real, y'all. We got to go. This has been your boy Chills. Been people said. Make sure y'all tune in to Mic Check tomorrow night. We're going to have a great discussion on uh, the comparison between music of yesterday and the music of today. We kind of started it in last week's show. Uh, but this week we're going to actually go a lot deeper into the conversation about it, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, myself, uh, the bishop, and Queen Poise are going to have a lot to say, comparisons uh, between music of today and music of yesterday. Uh, and once again, I want to send a big big shout-out to um, Darren Smith, the sole entertainer, for a great interview last week. If y'all didn't hear it, y'all need to go on our website and listen to it. It was a great interview. I had a lot of fun. All right. <clears throat> well, that's been tonight's show, y'all. It's been real, but we gotta go. See y'all later. <laughs>